All right, good morning. We're the Lee family. I'm Cornell. This is my wife, Lindsay. Daughters, Eliana and Margot. Um, we've been attending TCC since 2011. I'll be reading uh, from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to 10, and Mark chapter 3, verse 33 to 35. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. The word of the Lord. Thank you so much. The story goes of a little turtle who climbed to the top of a tree. The little turtle got to the top of the tree, climbed out to the edge of the branch, and jumped off the branch and went tumbling to the ground. This poor turtle. Turtle got up, shook itself off, and went back to the base of the tree, climbed the tree, went out on the branch, went to the edge of the branch, jumped off the branch, was flailing its, its legs, fell to the ground. Poor turtle. Turtle goes to the base of the tree, climbs the tree, goes to the end of the branch, you guessed it, jumps off the edge of the branch, falls to the ground. Poor turtle. Well, two birds are looking at this whole thing taking place, and one bird turns to the other and says, do you think we should tell him that he's adopted? (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. I've used that one before. I'm sorry if you're hearing that for the second time, but it's a great opportunity to laugh. That little turtle had an identity problem. That little turtle did not quite understand its identity clearly. And in the case of this little turtle, not understanding its identity clearly led to some problems, (laughs) some bruises and some scrapes. And when I think about us as as a people, um, similarly, what happens in our lives when we don't quite understand our identity clearly? Maybe we we miss our belonging, this idea that uh, we are a people who belong to God. And because we don't have our identity rooted in that belonging, we don't understand that our identity is, is rooted in this belonging with God. We, maybe we live a life of compromise, desperately trying to belong in this place or that place or some other place, frantically looking for some sort of group to bring us in, and in the process we start losing bits of ourselves. Or maybe we miss that part of our identity is that we were created by God. And that God has a plan for our lives, that he has a destiny for us. When we miss that part of our identity is that we've been created by God, that he loves us, that he has a destiny for us, it can lead us to this place of hopelessness, a place of wondering, what's, what's the point of life? What is my destiny? What is my purpose? Or maybe we might miss that part of our identity is that God loves us, that God values us. That when he looks at us, he calls us his beloved. When we miss out on that part of our identity, when we don't remind ourselves of it often enough, we end up looking for love in all of the wrong places. Or maybe when we miss that part of our identity, we find ourselves full of anxiety and worry and stress, forgetting that we have a father who loves us and who wants to meet our needs. 
Friends, in a world where we are often trying to be someone, in a world where we're trying to be a part of a different community or, or feel a sense of belonging, in a, in a world where people are desperately looking for purpose, the Bible says that you already are somebody. The Bible reveals to you your identity. The Bible has a lot to say about who you are and God's heart for you. Well, last week we started our new series called Life Together. And it's a series looking at different characteristics or attributes of the church. Sorry, Steve, I need to load this up. Um, And last week we kind of started off this series by talking about the importance of community. And we talked about why community is a practice and one that we need to engage in intentionally. So last week we talked about this, this big idea that God actually created us for community. Part of our created purpose is that we require other people to experience and go through life with. The next thing we talked about was that the call to follow Jesus is simultaneously a call to participate in community. That when Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, come and follow me, not only was he inviting them to come and follow him and an apprentice under him, but the implication was that they were also going to be joining together with all of these other disciples and people who were following uh, Jesus. So they became a part of a community. Last week we talked about how our experience of the life that Jesus has for us, as well as our maturing into Christ-likeness, requires our participation in community. That as we commit ourselves to living in the context of community, it actually causes us to become more of the people God wants us to be. We also talked about how we need to intentionally engage in community as we recognize that it is an essential practice. So this idea that we can't passively think that community is going to happen. We need to engage in it with intentionality. And then lastly, we talked about how we do not take lightly that community is a difficult practice. And this is the recognition that a lot of us have been hurt in the context of community. A lot of us have ideals and and dreams of what we want community to look like or be like, but have often come up against this reality that it's not the way we think it should be or the way we want it to be. And so it frustrates us. We back away from it. And so as we begin this conversation about community, I wanted us to stop this morning to talk about our common identity as a community. As the turtle in my story would have benefited from a deeper understanding of its identity, I believe that as we embark on the practice of community and this theme of life together, that we would do well to remember who we are as a church, who we are as a people of God. And I believe that as we understand and live out of this identity of who we are as a church and who we are as a people of God, that it might keep us from some bumps and falls. Our text this morning is uh, from 1 Peter chapter 2. You can follow along in your Bible uh, if you would like. And Peter writes these words to, the, to these groups of churches. And, and this is what he says. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I want to use this passage as a bit of a springboard for us to talk about uh, various identity realities of the church. And so I'm going to focus on four of them, um, and hopefully we're encouraged as we go along here. 
Who does God say that we are as a church? It's a big question. And I'm curious how you might answer that question. What is the church? Is it a building? Is it an organization? Is it a group of people? Peter begins his statement to this group of churches by saying, You are a chosen race. You are a chosen race. We might say that the church is a family. Peter here is clearly pulling from language from the Old Testament. Last week, we looked at uh, Exodus chapter 19, where God said something very similar to the people of Israel. And the Greek here with the word um, race that we have can also be translated to family or to offspring. Friends, we are God's people, which is to say we are the family of God. And it's interesting when we look at the Gospels because Jesus uses this family language to describe his community of followers. Um, And we read, we have this read for us, um, but we back up a bit in this text in Mark chapter 3. We read that Jesus' mothers and his brothers come and they're standing outside. They're looking for Jesus. And a crowd is sitting around Jesus and they say to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And Jesus answers them. Who are my mothers and my brothers? And looking about those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. This is a very interesting passage in the New Testament, among a few others, where Jesus kind of teaches a little bit about family. And here Jesus is identifying that the people who are his family are those who do the will of the Father. Now, this obviously has incredibly strong implications, especially given the cultural context that Jesus is talking to. See, in first century Judaism, this was a strong bond culture. And in a culture that is a strong bond culture, they are far from individualistic. And in a strong bond culture, they also understood that a person's relationship was strongest in the context of blood. Okay? Your relationship was the strongest in the context of blood. This meant that when a man went and married a woman, that that contractual relationship, the covenant relationship between them, wasn't to be thought as being more significant than that man's relationship to his own brother. Now, it's very different than we are in the West, right? We talk about leaving and uh, cleaving to our spouses, and we talk about our marital relationships being the primary place, um, the primary and most important relationship that we have. But in first century Judaism, that wasn't the case. Jesus' relationship to his brothers and to his mother should have been more important in the first century than his relationship to his, um, if he were married, to a spouse, but certainly be more important than to his followers. The first and most important relationship was to those of his immediate blood relationships. In Jesus' day, a person belonged to their family. It was their strongest social tie, greater than that of marriage. But Jesus looks into this culture, into this setting. You can just imagine this context. His mother and his brothers are standing outside the meeting room. And he says, well, wait, no. Those aren't my mothers and my brothers. These are my mothers and my brothers. This was a radical, radical statement for Jesus to make. And throughout the ages, we've seen the church be a place where conversion to Christianity included a transformation that affected a person's deepest commitments and social ties. Friends, as we sit in this room, we are one another's brothers and sisters 
Why is that? Well, it's because of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 4, uh, we read this text that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might have what? Adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, we just sang this, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Friends, when Jesus ascended into heaven and sends his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit does a work in our hearts where we are now sons and daughters of God. God, we rightly call God Father because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He is our heavenly Father. But if I have that Spirit, and you 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 have that Spirit, what does that make us? A family. And I want to suggest to us that this is more than a metaphor in the New Testament. But that this is a reality. If we believe that the Spirit of God is actually living inside of us. If we believe that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of us. We read about that in in Romans chapter 8. If we believe that the Spirit of God is living inside of us. And by that Spirit we call out Abba, Father. That that's more than just a metaphor. And when we sit in this room... Among one another, we are sitting with our brothers and our sisters. Individuals who also cry out, Abba, Father. Friends, individually we are sons and daughters of God, but collectively we are a family. We are a family. Which means we share in the family of God. We collectively belong in this family. You know, so much of our search for identity in our culture has to do with the issue of belonging. We want to feel like we belong somewhere. We want to feel like we are a part of something. Friends, I pray that you feel that you belong here at TCC. I pray that you feel that you belong to this family. That you're not some awkward uncle we want sitting outside, but that we embrace one another as brothers and sisters. And that when you look at this community of believers, you can look at it and say, I belong there. I'm a part of that family. You know, something um, being on staff, a huge blessing um, that we experience that I think we often take for granted is that we spend so much time together. You know, we start off Monday mornings praying for one another and we interact with one another throughout the week. And I understand that for most of us, that's not our type of experience in our workplaces. But man, I love our ministry staff team here at TCC. They are a family to me. And I get emotional thinking about it because I I can think of so many different ways that I've experienced their presence in my life. Where they've come alongside me and, and they've been that brother and that sister in a difficult moment. They've been that brother and sister in a time of need. Just this past weekend, um, my, my daughter wasn't doing well, and um, I reached out to our, our ministry team. I asked for prayer. You know, and within that day, one of the staff is knocking on the door with food, right? Why? Is there a family? And I could go on and on to tell stories, not just limited to the staff team here at TCC, but extending far beyond of the many ways that this congregation has lived out the reality that we are a family to one another. 
We've helped one another move. We've helped one another paint walls in their homes. We've brought one another meals. We've cried with one another. We've shared joys with one another. We've wept with one another. Friends, we are a family. And something I love about the reality of this is that us being part of this family isn't conditional on something that we do, but it's conditional on on something that Jesus has done. He has sent his spirit. And so when we look around this room, we see that we are a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-socioeconomically diverse people who by one spirit are brought into relationship with one, one another. We are a community of difference, but Jesus calls us a family only by the Spirit of God. And I love that we can welcome in people from all over the world and we can come together under this banner of the Lord Jesus Christ and we can worship together. We can pray with one another. We can do family together. And friends, this family metaphor has a lot of implications. Family means we show up for one another. Family means that we work through our difficulties. Family means that we contribute to the whole. And I don't have enough time to get into all of this this morning, so I'm, I'm going to do that next week as we talk about being a community of accountability. But friends, when we begin this conversation around who we are as a church, please hear me when I say we are a family. Well, Peter goes on and he says that you are also a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. The church is God's ambassadors. So this also echoes uh, from Exodus chapter 19. Again, we looked at it last week, but in Exodus 19 we read that you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. One commentator says that their purpose was to mirror to the nations the glory of God. I love that picture. So this race, this people, this family is to represent God to all people. We are to represent God to all people. In terms of an identity statement, you look at this and we see that our purpose is to be priests. Now, I need us to remember something because I talked about this last week. When we read in Scripture the word you... It's so easy for us just to hear it with individualistic ears, right? And think it's talking about me as an individual. But if we were to translate this, um, we might say that y'all are a royal priesthood. (laughs) Not just church staff or pastors and not just an individual, but us collectively as a church. Y'all are a royal priesthood. And this idea that it's not just the church staff or pastors is really important. Back in, in the, when the Reformation happened, one of the things that Martin Luther um, really pushed against was the idea that priests alone should perform certain functions. Martin Luther, reading First Peter, recognized that we all need to contribute to the mission of God, both externally out in the world, but also internally in the context of our congregation. I look forward to one of the messages in this series where Pastor Steve will be talking uh, about how we are a community of contribution and how God has given each of us gifts and, and things to bring to the whole. And, um, but I want to say now that we all have a part to play in being priests, in mirroring the glory of God to the world. 
There's an external element that as you go out into the world, you are an image bearer of God. You are proclaiming who God is. You're proclaiming the gospel uh, to the world around you in word and deed. That is part of what God has called you to do. But we also recognize internally that we get to minister to one another, to serve one another. And I, I need to say at this point that when we don't play our part, the rest of us are all missing out. When you don't play your part, the rest of us are missing out. So I invite you to consider a way that you might serve here at TCC. And as I mentioned earlier, this coming Saturday, we have a volunteer kickoff, not just a place to celebrate volunteers, uh, but for you to come and learn about ways that you might uh, get involved in contributing, uh, to this, this, um, contributing to this ministry here at TCC. In this reality of being a royal priesthood, we see that we share in the mission of God. We have a common mission. I know that so many of you, if you were to be asked the question, um, you know, if, sorry, if two people are meeting each other, right? It's like, hi, what's your name? You share your name. What's usually the next question we ask when we're getting to know somebody, right? What do you do, right? In the West, so much of our identity is caught up in our work. But I want to ask this question. What if our, our identity was instead caught up in the work that God has for us to do? Friends, we all have something to contribute. What if we receive from God not just our belonging, but also our purpose? What if we recognize that we have a mission and a part to play in this world? What if we embrace this reality that we are priests? I love with uh, my four-year-old daughter. Um, it's so funny. When I'm trying to get her to do something or get her to behave in a store. I know the best way to do that is to give her a mission. They say, okay, Libby, we, we got a mission to do. And she looks at me, she's like, okay, what's our mission, right? And so she goes from being distracted or whatever to like, just focus. Okay, dad, what's our mission, right? I'm like, we got to go get crackers from the cracker aisle or whatever it is, right? And she's like, okay. And she's like all over it. And she's focused and she's determined and she's moving in that direction. Now, maybe it's because she watches too much uh, Paw Patrol um, and uh, loves this whole idea of, of being on mission. Uh, but when I look at her, you see how this little identity piece, right? I have a part to play. I have something to contribute. She just clings to that and she runs after it. Friends, what if we saw in our day-to-day lives this opportunity to be priests, to recognize that we have been called to a mission? And what I love is that we're, as we go out into the world, we collectively share in that mission of proclaiming the gospel, of being the hands and feet of Jesus. Friends, it is a part of our identity And Peter goes on, he says that you are a holy nation, a holy nation. We recognize here that the church is distinct from the rest of the world. Now these identity statements I find so interesting in light of the context of 1 Peter. And I forgot to put this on the screen, but if we flip back to 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, just in the first verses... When, when Peter's making his, um, his introduction and his address to who these letters are going to, he says, To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. It's really interesting because we, you know, these are the type of passages that we glance over. But what's Peter saying? Basically saying, you are people who, 
you're elect exiles. You don't really have a home. You're part of the dispersion. He's recognized that there's a, they're a scattered group of people. But here in chapter 2, verses 9, he says that they're a holy nation. Now, these two things kind of don't seem to add up because while Peter, on one hand, is recognizing that they're scattered, that they're all over the place, he's identifying that even though they're scattered and all over the place and don't really have a home, he's calling them what? A holy nation. A holy nation. Friends, we are set apart for God by the Spirit to be like God. And when we think about this reality, we are, we're God's holy nation. That's what this word holy means, that we are set apart. And that as God's Spirit works in our heart, we become more like Jesus, become more like God. But we recognize that as we live that way in this world, that we are not a product of this world. We use the phrase, we are dual citizens, or that we are in the world and not of the world. That no matter the ways that the world is calling us into, we recognize that we as the church walk in the way of Jesus. That the, the, the kingdoms of the world might call us in this or that direction, but we recognize that our allegiance is not to the kingdoms of this world, but our allegiance is to Jesus. In this we see that we share in the same allegiance. That as we sit in this place, we, the church, we look at Jesus as our authority. We look at Jesus as our king. We look to Jesus for our direction. That is part of what it means to be the church. There's one more adjective that Peter has. He says that you are a people for his own possession. Friends, we, the church... We are God's beloved. We are the bride of Christ. The New Testament language around this aspect of the church is the picture that the church is the bride of Christ. We have an interesting passion, pa- passage in Ephesians where we read, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water With the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're reading about these household codes where where Paul is addressing how wives are to interact with husbands, husbands with wives, and he makes this digression. He starts talking about Christ and the church. Which speaks to this identity reality of us as a church that we are the bride of Christ. Jesus' ministry to us is cleansing his church. The image of the church as the bride parallels the Old Testament concept that the people of God were married to the Lord. The New Testament people of God, the church, are married to Jesus. The Messiah in particular, and not generically to God or even the Father, but we are the bride of Christ. And we go on to read in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 31, that therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And Paul says this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So here we see that the church should submit to Jesus 
and remain faithful to him as his bride. And we read in Revelation that at the end of time, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb that we read about in, in Revelation 19, that the bride of Christ is presented to Jesus. Our translation here of 1 Peter misses that this verse is actually oriented towards the future. One commentator has, says that a better translation might be that we are people destined for vindication. So as Jesus does this cleansing work of his bride over time, that when we get to Revelation 19, he presents us pure and spotless. Because of this, we are people who share in a future hope. That as the church, we look towards the end of time, we look at what Jesus is going to do, we recognize Jesus is going to come back. And we look forward to that in hope. We share that hope together. In addition, this picture of being chosen for God's own possession, of being his bride, reveals that we are deeply loved by God. We share in being deeply valued by Jesus. He calls us his bride. So friends, I hope you see, just from looking at these few verses in 1 Peter, that our identity is wrapped up in Christ. That because of what Jesus has done, we see that we are a family of God. That we are this royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That in Christ we belong. He's given us a place to belong. That in Christ we have a purpose. That in Christ we we see that our loyalty and our hope and our value is all found in him. And friends, these realities are not only unique to you as an individual, but they are also characteristic of the church, of this family. And what I love about that is in a world where we're told that we need to look for, our, look for our identity by looking within ourselves, we see that we can look to God's word, we can look outside of ourselves into God's word to see who we are in Christ. Now, I believe that we live into this identity in the context of community. We live into this identity in the context of community. Where are we going to experience this belonging, this family reality, if not in the context of a church? Where are we going to share collectively in a mission, the mission of God, if not in the context of the church? Where are we going to be reminded of our future hope and be encouraged by the testimonies of what Christ is doing currently in our context and what he wants to do in the world, if not in the context of the church? When I think about these last few years, it is sad for me as I recognize that many of us have spent so much time focusing on our differences rather than celebrating our shared identity. And it has been a tough few years. There's been a lot of strain in relationships. A lot of people have left churches. A lot of people haven't spoken to their own biological family members. Others have turned their backs on people that maybe they once called friends. But friends, it shouldn't be that way in the church. It shouldn't. 
We are a family. We need to choose to see beyond our differences and instead see who we are in Christ. And recognize that who we are in Christ is greater than our differences. I love in Colossians chapter 3, Paul says to the church, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Put on kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if one of you has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Friends, we are called to love one another, to bear with one another, even when we maybe don't like one another or one another's opinions on this, that, or the other thing. Perhaps this morning, some of us need to repent for allowing our own views on issues to cloud our love for our brothers and sisters. Perhaps some of us this morning need to repent of the ways that we've allowed division to sneak in where there should have been unity. And as we talked about last week, we might need to repent of the ways we've allowed our ideals of community to ruin the community itself. And as I said last week, friends, this is hard work. (laughs) This isn't easy. But as Paul talks about here in Colossians There's work for us to do. There's work for us to do. Friends, I want TCC to be a place where we celebrate our common identity. Where we look at one another and see brothers and sisters. I want this church to be known for being a church where people feel that they belong. I want TCC to be a church where people, a church that is known for being a place where people feel that they are known And a place where people forsake personal comfort in order to get to know others. Friends, I want TCC to be a church that is known for being one that is united in their mission. And while I desire all of these things, I recognize that I cannot do it myself. We are all in this together. And each one of us plays a part. The problem is that we often want to blame the church. Look at the church and say that, oh, they've failed in this, that, or whatever it is, or I don't feel like I belong in this congregation, or whatever it is. But if our understanding of the church is coming from Scripture, we need to recognize that when we blame the church, we're actually indicting ourselves for whatever frustration we're experiencing. And I don't say that to belittle the hurt or the pain that you have maybe experienced. I say that to help us to recognize That we all have a role to play. And we all need to work together to live into our identity. So friends, how are you celebrating your common identity here at TCC? Um, We recognize going into this series that it was one thing to call people into community. But we needed to do more than just call people into community. But we actually needed to make sure that there were spaces for people to go (laughs) if they were wanting to engage Um, And so we have a new opportunity for us um, that we're looking forward to launching in the next couple of weeks. And that's just this idea of community groups. Uh, If you read my weekly emails, um, I've been writing about this a little bit over the last month. Um, But this Sunday, um, we're calling Sign Up Sunday. 
Um, and we're excited to say that we have four new groups starting at TCC. And the purpose of these groups is to offer a midweek space for people to come and participate and practice in community. We wanted to create a place where we can come together and celebrate our common identity. We wanted to create a place where people can come together and gather around the word of God and celebrate the fact that they are a family, to remind one another of the story of God, to pray for one another, to bear one another's burdens. Um, We have home groups um, as well at TCC, and a lot of those are are pre-existing groups that have been meeting for several years, so we didn't want to put an end to those groups or anything like that. Um, But the distinction between a home group and a community group is that our community groups are going to run just for a semester at a time. I know sometimes people are intimidated to join a home group because they feel like they're signing their lives away. Um, They're they're intimidated to to commit on that level. And so the idea of a community group is that it's going to meet between now and Christmas and end with a Christmas meal in December. And then in the new year, we look forward to launching uh, new community groups or starting some of those groups again. Uh, but the idea is that um, those groups would maybe change in terms of who's participating in them, which gives us as a congregation opportunity to get to know one another. And so back at our uh, connection tables following the service, uh, there's sign-up sheets there uh, for four different groups that are meeting uh, Tuesday or Wednesday nights. Uh, we have groups meeting in Terwilliger, uh, in Riverbend, as well as in Haddo. So just invite you, prayerfully consider, is there a space that I can get more involved at at TCC in this season? And maybe it is at Women's Refresh on a Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. Maybe it's Alpha on Thursday night if you have questions about faith. But we want to create spaces here at TCC for us to live into this identity. To create spaces where we are reminded that our life with God is not a do-it-yourself project but that our life with God is indeed life together. And we live that out and experience that as we intentionally engage in community. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and join me on the platform. What I love about these statements that Peter has is that it is a double-sided coin. Because yes, there's this plural reality that he's writing to us as a church, that we collectively are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. But the double-sided coin of that is also that God sees us as individuals. Friends, you belong. You have a purpose and a destiny. You have a hope. And you are deeply valued and loved by God. And you sit among a people who are also ones who belong, who have purpose and destiny, who have hope, and are deeply valued. And I pray that as we go about our lives, that we would live out of this identity. That we would see that our belonging is secured in Christ. We would see that our purpose and our destiny is secured in Christ. That we would recognize that our hope is secured in Christ. That we would live out of the truth that our value is in Christ. Let's pray together. Now, Father God, we thank you so much for sending your son and bringing to life this community, a community of of different people coming together with many different backgrounds, many different stories. But Jesus, you call this community a family. 
And so, Lord, I pray that by the power of your spirit, we would experience that reality of family even today. Lord, may we in the context of this place feel that deep sense of belonging. May we feel that reality that we are valued, that we are loved. Lord, may we catch a glimpse of this reality that we have a purpose in you, Jesus. And I pray that we would allow that identity to seep into our hearts and just change our posture and our pace and our cadence as we go about life. Knowing that we belong, knowing that we are loved, knowing that we are valued, knowing that our hope is secured in you. Help us to receive those truths, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.